Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Hardy's two for five dollar breakfast baked goodness into your morning. Choose a biscuit with sausage and egg, biscuit and gravy, or French toast dips. Any two, just five dollars. Hardy's goodness in the making. These items only. Price and participation may vary. Tax not included. You know, to me, this is like the most dangerous thing that's happening in our country of anything. The food industry is getting more and more centralized and like if you are well fed you are strong and if you're not you're weak our food system like we are giving it away it's been given away 86 percent of the beef that are processed in the united states are controlled they go through four different companies two of those are brazilian owned in with these like southern cartels and shit smithfield is owned by the shineway group i believe which is like a giant butchery chain in China. Like the pork and chicken industry, we have gotten so detached from our food system and like we're just living in la-la land. Nutrient-dense foods increases brain cognition. Who wouldn't benefit from more brain cognition? Like the world, we're full. it's full of problems. What's the value of being able to solve your problems? Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He is a fourth generation rancher who's also the owner of Carter Country Meats, uh, which is a company that is trying to emulate uh, nature in a controlled setting as it relates to the food industry. And we're going to dive deep into what that all entails the show Yellowstone is loosely based on his family, and Rip may or may not be him. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, R.C. Carter. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, you know, this is a, a big topic for, for a lot of people, myself included. You know, the we talked a little bit uh, off camera before we started about the importance of food, um, you know, in so many ways, not just the obvious kind of health reasons, but also being a steward of, of our country's land, uh, but also from a national security standpoint, um, something as simple as looking at wars that have been won and lost based off of um, the ability to supply troops with, with food and, and how dangerous it is to outsource everything. And, and so I want to kind of get into the meat and potatoes, no pun intended, of, uh, of all of that and, and kind of see what, what you have going on and, and you know, four generations later, kind of get your perspective on what's going on in this country uh, as it relates to all that. Um, what is the biggest misconception about cattle ranching from your perspective? Hmm. Um, the biggest misconception that it's lucrative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be the big, the biggest thing. I mean, typically most ranchers are capital rich um, and and money poor. You know, mo- most ranchers have been grandfathered into their land. You know, people, their grandparents or parents came in and bought it. And uh, and it's really tough to it's really tough to be profitable in the in the beef industry, um, farming industry in general. You know, 
Would you say that that's, you know, the, the truer that is, is based on the smaller that you are like the, cause there's obviously some big multi-billion dollar corporations that own, you know, half the country's farming industry that, that are, that's obviously very lucrative, but the drawback or the, the cost of that, you know, is our health and the, and the quality of the food and whatever. So, I mean, would it be safe to say that to do it right or, you know, to do it the way that, that it needs to be done, it, it's really difficult to be profitable? Um, I mean, that's, there's just, I mean, that's the, so we got into the beef industry. We get, we've been ranchers for, I'm, I'm a third generation. My kids are fourth generation, but we've been ranchers for, you know, <clears throat> that long. And, uh, 10 years ago, we got into the meat, the meat industry. So we started, uh, my, my younger brother, he, he was a part of it back then. And he's a professional snowboarder and he's meets some famous chef buddies over in Jackson hole. And they're like, Oh, you guys are cowboys. You know, let's, uh, you must have some beef. Like let's eat your beef. So we butchered a couple of animals and I, I, we didn't know anything about it. Like, this is the way we've been doing it, eating these cows. Um, and so we take him some animals and they try them out and they're like, there's like eight restaurants under this umbrella. And they're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Like, how do we start? And, uh, you know, so it starts off like handshake agreement. We're going to eat. Um, they were going to take like two animals a, a, a week from us, whole animal, nose to tail, like, Boom. So we go back and we talk to my dad and we don't have any money. So dad's like, all right, I'll, you know, let's figure this deal out. So my old man loans us the cows. We go buy a, a Connex box, like these over the seas you see on shipping, shipping containers, buy one of those, process 80 animals, stuff them in there. And we're like, well, let's go. And uh, so we take him, <laughs> I never forget the first day, the first delivery, we take these guys, eight cows and uh, yeah, I mean, there's like boxes falling over. We're in their cooler, and there's pastries, and we're squashing. We're just like dump it. And on the way home, my brother and I are like, "Man, this is like this is awesome." Because I mean, we've been. I'm like, I'm raising a family on at that time. We were like raising a family on fifteen hundred bucks, you know. And so we're like, "This is easy money. This is this is awesome." Well, they didn't place another order for two months. They were I mean, supposed to do that every week. Every week, yeah. they were going to take two, so they didn't. They didn't take. Well, it was like three months. Oh, I got you. And they had to, and they were just scrambling. So what it was was like they had no idea. Like they'd gotten in completely over their head, and so here we are stuck, you know, with this debt, and you know, trying have to figure it out. So we, you know, there wasn't anybody to go to. We didn't have the resources or know anybody that's in this space. So we just, I just started like kicking down doors and like. <clears throat> we spent three years just selling those first animals yeah. and just, uh, you know, and it was kind of a, it was a blessing in disguise because I didn't learn. And I just learned the industry myself. And, and what I found was like, you get into these restaurants and like, these guys didn't know anything about me. They know how to cook it, but they were like, everybody's focused on like a ribeye and a strip loin and a tenderloin. But like that, basically accounts for 15% of the cow. Like what about the rest of it? Yeah. And so really just trying to add, add value, add value to those animals. Like it's been a, it's been a hell of a journey. And one of the biggest like things in, in my mind is like as a rancher, one of the hardest things to like traverse was as a rancher, I looked at my, I looked at cows as just cows. You know, you don't really look at them um, as like food, right? I mean, you, you kind of know it, but as far as like taking it from the pasture, literally to the, the plate, um, that was like, it was a big jump. 
Yeah. And that's what most farmers and ranchers like. They're not really in that in that space. And, you know, everything's education, you know, and if you know better, you do better. And so um, when it when we are talking about as we get more into it, like the chemicals and the health of the animal, um, you know, in the moment, you're just like everything is so short. Everybody's like because of the the financial constraints of the the agriculture industry and the, how tight the margins are, everybody is like looking at very short term gains. Yeah. Like, can I pay the bank off this year? So they're not looking at like like all the shit we're putting on our fields and stuff, like the glyphosate and the monocropping and all that. Like nobody's really. It's hard for that to register because most people of agriculture background are really in a scarcity mindset. Because historically, like the people of the land, like you're just you just kind of eke by, yeah, you know. And so that's kind of a, um, yeah. I don't even know where we were. Uh, I'm going to take a, a quick break. I, I do want to let you guys know um, the way that you can support the show is to support our sponsors. Uh, I know some people don't like to hear ads, but uh, that's how I do what I do for a living. So uh, any support you can show for our gracious sponsors is much appreciated. And again, it does uh, does support the show. So thank you. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. Well, no, I, I mean, it's it's good, to, I think, context to provide because it, it I think, sets up the the position of, of kind of how we got to where we're at. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you think about, you know, kind of your, your main mission statement, which is not revolutionizing so much the cattle industry or, or you know, meat farming, if you will, but it, it's more kind of bringing it back to how, how it started and, and how nature intended and, and how it should be. And so... You know, I think it's important for a lot of people to understand who have nothing to do with the chain that exists of, of how and where their food come from comes from to understand that the mindset, the mentality, and, and most importantly, kind of the situation that the people who are providing the food with uh, to them, like what situation they're in, because, you know, that that's going to drive and dictate, you know, their, their practices and what's important to them and, and what have you. And I think it's easy for people who live in the city, you know, who are, you know, reading an article on glyphosate, for example, in a Starbucks in New York to be like, what the fuck? Why are you putting that, you know, not understanding the, you know, the trickiness and, and the, the difficulty of, you know, bringing things to, to harvest, whether it's crops or meat or, or what have you, and, and how many things can fucking go wrong yeah. that, that will completely wipe you out, you know? And so I think it's important to, to kind of dive into that and dig through it. Um, where are you originally from? I'm uh, basically born and raised in Sleep, Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you've been there pretty much your whole life. I mean, what, what was childhood like growing up in, in that environment? <laughs> it was it was awesome, man. I mean, we were we were like feral, you know, like we were raised like coyote pups. Yeah. You know, we were just uh, 
either like how blessed are we like to grow up without digital devices and bullshit you know it's like you got up too early on saturday watch cartoons you're looking at the ant wars yeah and so it was it was like just go outside and you know you just got to be creative you know you would find a stick in it like it's like turned it was a spear or a gun or and whatever and we had a creek in front of our place we my my brother and i and uh, and my sister we just grew up like fishing and running like just running wild yeah you know just using our own minds and being active um and just with real freedom yeah real real freedom so it was great but i mean it was a, uh, it was tough like my old man's a straight up slave driver i mean <laughs> we it was there was one way and and, and that you know he was i got to hand it to him um you know my, my grandpa in 1964 my grandpa basically he moved from uh, Provo, utah up and he Kind of broke out a, a homestead per se up in the, like the Bridger Bowl area. So at one point in time, like he owned the whole Bridger Bowl or like the vast majority of it, like where Bridger Bowl ski lodges and all that. And, uh, you know, he had a logging company, cows logging company, was a jack of all trades, you know, had 50. He's telling me um, he's passed since passed, but he had 50 guys on his workforce, you know, in oh. the logging business. And he's like, man, we had two guys in the hospital at all times. Like yeah. just you know, doing it with these old, old machinery, people dying. And, but Bozeman was, a that zone was really, it's not real conducive to like easy cattle management. I mean, those guys get some serious snow. And, uh, so, you know, he was a fan, he had, uh, you know, 10, 10, my, my dad has, uh, nine brothers and sisters. Wow. And, uh, so, yeah. And so they moved, uh, they moved down to Tensleet because of our ranch. Um, you know, 27 natural springs. Uh, we've got a canyon on one whole side. So that's, you know, basically fencing that we don't have to deal with. And it was this one contiguous piece of, of dirt. And so... How many acres? Uh, it's about 40,000 wow. on that on that piece. Um, you know, all, all told, yeah. um, public and, and private. Um, and so, you know, we, we got posted up there and um, Grandpa got in trouble with the bank, you know. Bless his heart, you know, he wasn't really, it's tough. And, uh, you know, he uh, he was in trouble. And uh, my dad, he's a, he's a hustler, man. He's just like such, he's got such a fire in him. He just does not quit. He he came in and took it over. And basically he was a, uh, made, a, made a lot of money trading cattle and, and basically paid off the ranch and got us safe, um, safe from the bank. And so we just grew up, you know, doing hard things, you know, toughing, chasing cows and like not having enough water and like, you know, eating yeah. cotto salami for lunch. You just like hate those little peppers that are, yeah. and so it was a yeah, challenging, challenging, but rewarding lifestyle, you know, really close to nature. How many siblings do you have? I have uh, two. Well, I have a half sister and then uh, my, my younger brother and older sister. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I mean, was, was it kind of the plan or, or your thought process was that your path was going to be to take this over? I mean, was it kind of just always that that was the, the deal? Yeah, that was kind of the deal, you know. It was like, like the old man was always, you know, he's always asking, like, well, so you're going to come back, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll do that. And uh, so I did. And, you know, I went to the University of Wyoming. Um, I can't say I was very focused on school down there yeah but i i learned how to learn you know by working at a bar and <laughs> you know and uh, had, had a lot of fun played with some rugby down there and 
um, you know, working at the bar was really awesome because I learned, I learned about people, yeah. you know, and uh, I learned how to read people and you're like, ah, these guys, they're fine. But like this guy, like better keep an Watch eye out. on him. Yeah. And so, so it was, I had a great time and I just went down and had fun. Then I got back to the ranch in 2001 and um, married, married my wife, my wife, Annie. She's like, she's, she's amazing. You know, she's right. She's, we're a team, you know, so we go do, we do everything together, you know, and uh, it has its own set of challenges. Yeah. I, working, I can imagine working with your spouse. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun too. You learn a lot about yourself. Um, but yeah, we, so, you know, and then we just, anytime we made some money, we just started investing in the infrastructure of the ranch because I had this like mindset from like, I, I've, I was just aware of, you know, the situation, the culture of ranching. And I'm like, man, you're like working the land and like, it's going to break you. Like eventually you're like, you're up against nature and like, there's you, no days off. There's no days off. And you come in with all this high testosterone and you're like, I'm going to do it today. And like, you know, by the time you're 60, like you're done and you're arthritic and your back's bad. And you're, so I, I had the mindset that I want the ranch. I want this ranch to work for me versus me working for it. So I just put all the money that we, the extra cash, like put it into improvements and pivots, you know, we have 500 irrigated acres. And, and it finally got to the point where, you know, it was like, well, what's the next step um, for, for the ranch as far as production was going to be plant corn. And I'm like, man, I would rather be dipped in cow shit than <laughs> like have oil or hydro. I mean, I've like, and I've sat in my fair share of tractors, you know, 17 hour days and uh, I don't enjoy it. So I kind of got turned on to um, like Joel Salatin and the Alan Savory type of folks and like sort of educating myself about, you know, at monocrops and like what the hell. And so that was like, it was like going down a rabbit hole, right? So you've been told like, this is the way the world is your whole life. And this is the way the food system works and everything's okay. Just trust what everybody's telling you. And then you start to peel some layers back and you're like, holy cow, I think it's all bullshit. And so I kind of went the, uh, we went the other direction. So at this point we have like no monocrops, all polyculture. Um, we've never used glyphosate on our fields. Um, we, we put there, we have no chemicals. Um, two years ago, we stopped putting any fertilizer whatsoever on our fields and have just like are totally geeking out on like experimenting. Right. Because there's there's so much potential um, in regenerative agriculture and in this space, like people have been people have been grazing, raising food for millennia with with nothing that comes in a jug, you know, like yeah. nothing that corporate America is selling you. And so I'm convinced now that I'm like, um, I think it's that the model of farming um, and ranching is like, that's actually what's going to keep us all keep, keep us broke Yeah. because tires, grease, I mean, all the input costs that it takes to produce other than sunshine, soil and rain, we have to pay for. And the vast majority of our food system has been sold. This is how you raise food. And that is the same thing that's like, it's, it's like, I mean, and we've had the testing done on our, our, on our beef. And it's like, that is the food system that is pumping out this like nutrient weak, um, 
food. So it's like, it looks like food, smells like food, but there's nothing in it. Yeah. Like you're like, the, you know, you may as well be an Ethiopian, starved out of Ethiopian. You got a big old fat belly and, but you're just like, you're nutrient deficient. And it's like the same model that is like exacerbating the, the loss of our topsoils and um, the chemical, the chemical runoff and this hypoxic blooms on the Gulf of Mexico where there's like 10,000, 10,000 square acres of like dead zone because there's no oxygen. So it's all of that. The commodity system of, of raising food is like, that's what's, that's what's, uh, I think it's very dangerous. Yeah. I think it's very dangerous because it's not sustainable. Yeah. No, I mean, it's fascinating. I, I'd love to get your kind of definition of regenerative farming. I mean, it's, uh, I think, I can't remember what, I think that. Uh, how would you describe it? I would say it's just like trying to emulate nature. You know, it's like. Or, or can you, I guess, can you break it down to what it actually means? Like, how, how do you, uh, like in, in practice, how, how do you regenerative re, regeneratively farm? So what, what we, what we're doing um, and ha- have been doing for a little bit here is, so this is interesting. <clears throat> it was interesting to me. A um, handful of years ago, the, the Bureau of Land Management came out with a study that basically said that the, the arid mountain west is severely degraded, right? And so, I mean, there's like 25 million acres of, of public lands that they say are just like, it's terrible, it's severely degraded. And so we look back in history and we're like, well, Why? You know what what's going on here? So we go back in time. Is like before before uh, the 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 European came across this land. Like what was going out on out here? And so before we, uh, I should say we, but before our ancestors came out here and screwed everything up, you know the nature. There was an equal there was an equilibrium, right? There was bison, there was wolves, there was some First Nation people that were you know harvesting. But it was like we have to we have to we have to assume that that was as perfect as it could have been. Um, you know, it's like nature, nature's kind of like, that's my church. Like, like, a, that, like that, a complete ecosystem. As a complete site, there was a circle, right? And so there was death and rebirth and death and rebirth. And so we look back in time and like what happened. So around about the 1870s, like the last of the bison were pretty much killed. And they were basically like, they were murdered. To just basically get rid of the, you know, get the First Nations people out of here, in, in my opinion. I think that's just, I think that's the truth. So, so they killed all the bison. And, and then after that, you know, and so the interesting thing about bison is the, the way that, by, so the important thing here is like the way. It's not just necessarily the bison, in my opinion. It's the way that bison grazed, right? So there was supposedly 60 million bison in, the, in, the, in America. And so these animals, like with the seasons, they would pass through. And you have to look back at the historical record, right? So it's like um, you look back at these trappers' journals when they climbed to the top, top of a mountain and it's like and they wrote down what they saw, you know, and there's beaver dams and there's, you know, herds of bison that would, it would take three days to pass, you know, and when they were building the trains, you know, they'd have to stop the train for two days. Like, can you imagine how many animals it would take if they're just like, they're moving for, but there was like between, I mean, herds of millions of animals in one space. And so we look back there and the way these animals grazed was a high intensity, 
low time duration. So as the herd would pass through, they stayed in a herd because if you're lone buffalo over by yourself, something is going to eat you. So there's strength in numbers. So they stay together. And as these things would move through, they would, uh, you know, they would eat, take, take the bite of the grass. They would um, defecate and urinate on the soil, um, like taking their bacteria from their stomach and introducing it onto the soil and stomping and just basically tilling the whole tilling the land and so there's accounts from like the u.s cavalry as they were coming out here to to decimate the the natives falling in behind a herd of buffalo and they're like dude our horses almost died because we never saw a blade of grass for three days and so that was the natural cycle so the bison are gone now and then we see um you know the the large cattle drives starting to happen coming up from texas you know we're in dallas now so the, the cattle drives are coming up and so it was basically the same kind of idea but it was high intensity but there was no rest period so the bison would come through high intensity low time duration but then they wouldn't come back for a year two maybe three who knows and now we have the large cattle drive so they're coming through and they're hammering these areas day year after year after year and then we have like little towns starting to pop up. So now there's no fences. So everybody's got their cows and they just they just kind of live around town. And so there was like this long period from like the 1870s to um, the 1930s where there was just, it just got the shit kicked out of it, the grasses. And then in 1934, you know, the government recognized there's a problem. We should do something. So they came in and they basically cut the whole West up into a piece of pie and said, okay, rancher, this is your piece. This is how many animals you get to run. And so at that point, we basically, we, we switched over to a completely opposite system and, and method of grazing. So now you would take like, you know, we would go out and we'd take 500 cows and you dump them out in this one pasture and they get to stay there for two months. So now we go from a high intensity, low time duration to a low intensity, high time duration. So it's basically like, we don't even need any science, right? We know nature's perfect. Don't second guess it. And we're, now we're doing the opposite thing. And we have been doing that since 1934. This has been the grazing strategy by our, you know, the, the, the government entities that are tasked to take care of our public lands, right? And so to answer your question, like my family, we came in and we're like, you know, I just got turned under this regenerative agriculture. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is awesome. It feels like, you know, I've been a rancher for 45 years and I'm like, it just it feels, felt like I'd gotten slapped in the face with truth. I'm like, holy shit, this makes sense. I've been fucking it up this whole time. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so there's like this real gut check when you realize you're like, I've been doing it wrong. And so it's like, well, do you choose to do better? And like, you know, as a steward of the land, you're like, yeah, you, I mean, what? You about got to, right? Or like, how are you going to look at yourself in the mirror if you're like, well, I'm just doing it because I'm like, the old bank account's doing good. Yeah. But I think, so we go, uh, my wife and I, we, we pulled the kids out of school. We've got three boys, pulled them out of school, and uh, we just moved to the hills with eight, 800 cows and calves. And we just started doing it, you know, talked to a few people, but the best way to figure something out is just do it. And it was awesome, man. I'm like, how old were your kids at the time? I mean, they were 10, let's see, 9, 11, and uh, 9, 11, and 13. And it was like, it was the most amazing thing. Like, we basically just went back to living a pastoral lifestyle. And 
like when you wake up in the morning and like I mean you get up before the sun's up and you walk outside and like we had when we we have a total circus like we had pigs out there and my, <laughs> my kids got these like little baby ducks and and then you know we have so you're like the sun's coming up you know it's just dusk which is like the magical it's the best people need to get their ass out of bed and experience that you had like a nice cup of coffee and there's just like a herd of happy animals like the energy that comes off of of that like in that setting like it, you words don't do it like it's a it's a feeling um and it was it was it was magical like whoever talked everybody into like living in boxes and like going to work like that was a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking con artist. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, the economy sucks, right? Uh, it's up and down. Um, anybody who's looking to invest uh, is a little leery of investing in the stock market, myself included. I started working with Masterworks here recently. Uh, they specialize in blue chip art, uh, which is very unaffected by the uh, volatility of the stock market. And so uh, the way that it works is you basically invest with other people into uh, paintings that are very safe and secure and reliable in terms of sales. They've got a great track work, uh, record um, of being able to sell these uh, incredibly expensive paintings um, and, and other artworks for, um, for profit. And it, and it gives you an ability to leave the volatility to the stock market and kind of hedge against that. So it's a good way to, I hate to use the, the corny cliche, diversify your portfolio, uh, but that's exactly what it does uh, in a very safe and, and predictable manner. Uh, if you go to masterworks.art slash mic drop, uh, you can skip the wait list. Again, that's masterworks.art slash mic drop. Um, and you can get involved with, uh, again, diversifying whatever you're looking to uh, to put money into to, to keep it uh, in a in a more safe platform other than cryptocurrency or the stock market or uh, anything else that, that tends to bounce around like a roller coaster in these volatile times. So um, in terms of SEC filings, uh, you can still uh, register uh, everything uh, above board the way that you need to investment-wise. Um, there's over $650 million invested in, in blue chip through these guys uh, and over 590,000 users. So this isn't some... Uh, pop up, you know, fly by night joint that has 10, uh, 10 members. It's uh, totally uh, legit and, and above board. And, and uh, I've been working with them for a little while now and it's great. So uh, again, that's masterworks.art slash mic drop. Uh, and you can get all the details at that website. Well, I mean, I think it's a, a bigger, like the bigger picture is, is that it's, it's kind of designed so that, you know, people don't realize that that's not the way to do it. And, and it like, it's like this self-repeating vicious fucking hamster wheel that yeah. most of society is in that, that thinks that that's how it's supposed to be. And, yep. and our government supports it, you know, big, big agriculture, big corporations do it. It's, it's all kind of this nasty connected cycle that, uh, you know, that those people that own those things and, and that make billions and trillions of fucking dollars uh, off of it. Don't, don't want people to feel that, that energy and magic right. from the land. Um, so what is a typical day like for you guys? I mean, we, there is no typical day. I mean, the only thing that's consistent is just like wake up and figure it out. Yeah. As a rancher, you I mean, you gotta be, just be like a master of the audible. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you just wake up and, you know, cause you're like so much, so much of what your day to day is, is dependent on the weather and, um, 
you know, the, and animals like, and, and you can't control either one of those things, you know, you can kind of manipulate, but at the end of the day, they just kind of, they're going to do. And so you just can't wake up and figure it out. You know, look out. The first thing you do is you wake up and you look out the window and you're like, all right. And then uh, typically I like to go check on the, you know, go, go make a lap. I call it making my lap, go check on things. And then as long as there's no explosions or anything like that or nothing dying or, you know, you just never know. Um, then you kind of try to have a, a, you know, a direction. But first of all, it's like just mitigate, mitigate anything that's happening and, um, and then try to make improvements, you know, along the way. Are, are there uh, standard disasters that you deal with, like things that happen pretty regularly that you could say, oh, here's the top five, seven, ten things that go wrong regularly? I mean, when you're dealing with animals, like people are so soft these days and, and don't get me wrong. Like I love, I love my animals, like absolutely love animals. Um, I mean, in a lot of respects, they're better than people. You know, they're not going to lie to you. They're not, they don't deceive. They just, they are what they are. I mean, they're just programmed, but, um, the realities of it, like they die, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, it's hard, but like, that's, that's nature, you know? And that's, it's like something that we have completely forgot is that, you know, um, your time here is pretty short, you know, and, and that's something that's really awesome and sad and, you know, around to be around animals is just to remember, they remind you of that. Like just the other day, um, you know, we, so we have these Cooney Cooney pigs. They're these little, they're beautiful, like these little heritage breed pigs you know we're not just we're not real biased on beef like we like meat all meat and so we have these little baby pigs and um getting into production of them so i have this insulated room and uh the mama pig's in there and she's gonna have her babies well my boys go out and they check out and i got a little heat lamp like we're set up like it's this bulletproof plan well somehow the pig is having her babies and she destroys like my heating setup, like pulls the, like the heat lamp. She's like pulls the cord out and it's my fault. I screwed up. Kids come in. I'm like, I'm late getting out of bed. I had a late night. Kids wake me up. They're like, dad, there's dead pigs everywhere. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. You go out there and you know, sure. how. I mean, we lost like eight babies and they're the, and they're the cutest thing. Like if you've never seen a baby pig, like they're not like these like feral things you yeah. have running around here, but you know, and so there's a run of the litter. So the run of the litter, we save two out of six, and then another pig has her babies, and we got all these baby pigs running around. So we have this little runt, and, like, the runt is obviously obviously not going to make it. Um, it can't compete. So we take it on, and now we're bottled. Now we have a pig living in the house that weighs, like, you know, three ounces. And, uh, and uh, well, we had two of them, and the, and the one dies. And it's, like, it's so profound how something that is so little – can make you feel something that's like so big, yeah. you know, and like, and so deep. So being around these animals, like it really puts it in, um, kind of helps put, keep your life in perspective, you know, it's like a good friend of mine was just telling me the other day that like the, I think it was the Sumerians, like when they would have a child, like the first thing they would do is they'd hold the baby up and they'd say, welcome to your journey of death. And I mean, that's the reality is like none of us are getting out of here alive. So like make it count. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so anyways, yeah, there's a lot of animals die. It's just, uh, you know, we, and you do your best to, you know, keep them alive. Um, We do have machinery. So something's always broken. 
you know, is it ca- capital rich, um, asset poor, like you, we don't have nice things. Like it's, you're always like putting band-aids on stuff and just trying to, you know, MacGyver, MacGyver stuff together. And, um, yeah, just kind of roll, just flow. Yeah. From a, like a daily inventory standpoint, I mean, like, can you kind of walk through what you guys have to, to look after, maintain, manage, like how many, how many cattle on how many acres and, and are you moving from a regenerative standpoint? Are you moving them from a spot or you're, you're just, here, here's the areas and they go as they want or like, how does that work? Yeah, like, well, it's um, so much of our life is just like based around the season. So, so right now <clears throat> there's a lot of snow, so we're, we're feeding the cows grass. Um, and so the, there's the day to day of that is like, just make sure the cows have feed. So we're, right now I like, I kind of look at it as like, we're in the, the cocoon, right? We're in the hibernation mode with winter and we're just resting. So there's not a whole lot going on. Um, we've been grinding up a bunch of cardboard boxes that we get from behind a grocery store and just kind of experimenting with that, like putting carbon into the ground, um, letting the animals like lay on that in this setting. And so here pretty quick, we're getting ready to transition into uh, spring. So this is when they'll start calving. So at that point, as the green grass comes on, now we're going to move out to the hills. And then it gets really, uh, it gets really intensive because we just live with them like all day, every day. And we're just out. Um, We kind of manage them with like electric fences and kind of some day herding. We're just kind of figuring it out. But we were like, we want to keep, um, we're trying to regenerate the soil and add, increase uh, the biology in it. And is that what the car, where the cardboard boxes come from? Or, or, or why you're putting those into the ground is trying to make it more nutrient dense? Or how does that work? Well, we're doing that on more of like our, our irrigated our irrigated pastures. So we have the irrigated pastures, basically, they produce, um, they produce food that we're going to, you know, it's like the surplus. So that's where we produce our grass there that, cause, and that's what gets them through, um, you know, at a period of time in the winter when the snow's deep, like, so, so you're not sourcing the grass from anywhere. It's you you grow it right there and store it. And then, yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. Right on the place. And, and so, so we, we use the, we use the grasses that we grow under our irrigated pivot with, you know, it's basically artesian water. I mean, we have a, we've got wells up there that are like 1700 feet deep. Wow. This Madison, it's like, um, Madison formation aquifers. Like it just squirts out of the ground, like literally 120 PSI. Wow. This is this, like, if you drink Aqua Vista water, mm-hmm. like the water bottles, that's what it is really before it's filtered. Yeah. There's a Pepsi, Pepsi dealership in, uh, 30 miles from us and they come over, fill up their tanker truck and, you know, it costs them like, I don't know. 50 bucks for a semi load of water and then they go and sell it for $2 million. <laughs> to you. Yeah. They yeah. tell it, sell it to, to people for, yeah. you know, wow. ridiculous amount. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the, the cardboard box thing. Can you, uh, I guess, explain what the, the rationale is or what, like what's going on with that? Yeah. I mean, it just came, it came out of necessity really. Um, you know, we had, we had cows, like there's a certain period, there's a period of time during the, during the year where you don't really want cows on your field. So um, in the wintertime, we bring our cows and we have them closer because winters, especially like this winter, man, we've had legit lots of snow. You want to be kind of close so you can kind of take care of them. Um, and if you're, if you're feeding cattle under a line, so you set up like an electric fence and then you feed the, you, you know, you, we'd have, we put up haylage. So it's like if anybody's ever seen corn silage, it's the same thing, but it's with grass. We have all these, all of our fields are basically a monocrop with like 
four or five different grasses in them, a bunch of different legumes like alfalfa and sandfoin and yellow clover. So it's just like basically a cocktail of uh, nutrients. And so we cut it, put it into a pile, and then throughout the winter we take it out and feed it to them under this wire so they're not wasting it. Well, invariably, you know, you really want to have those animals in there and off your fields when it's wet out and they're like, you know, it's muddy because they're making pock work pockmarks and kind of compacting compacting the soil so we were there was like a drought and it was uh it was really hard to find straw because that's typically what we bed the animals in is is straw just so they have something dry to and we all like dry beds and uh there was no no straw so i was driving behind the grocery store 30 miles away and i see all these like 600 pound bales of boxes and i mean not just a few of them so i talked to the I talked to Brandon and he's like, yeah, man, take them. He's like, we're getting nothing for them any day because they'd shut the recycling center down in, in our town because it's like, it's just not cost effective to recycle this stuff. Yeah. So I started, I had, you know, I had a good talk with them. All right, let's get all the tape off of them. Let's clean them up. I don't want to be have plastic. So I'd take these 600, bring in semi loads. I think we used like 400,000 pounds of boxes wow. that, that first year, just like brought these things in and, uh, and we have this big tub grinder. So there's the there's a fella that he'll take it's a tub grinder, so they can take a bale of hay and like chop it up into like two or three inch pieces and it's easier to feed, it's easier to digest. So I just like talk to that guy and I'm like, hey man, you think we could grind some boxes? He's like, let's give it a whirl. <laughs> so next thing you know, we're grinding boxes up and uh come to find out. Like now I'm getting into this regenerative space and trying to build biological healthy soil. So bacteria, what bacteria eats is carbon, right? So even people talk about climate change and carbon storage, like bacteria is like, it's crucial. So I started doing some research. Turns out a cardboard box pound for pound has 400 times more carbon in it than a bale of straw. And it's free other than my shipping. So I'm like, well, this is a way better idea solving another problem because all these boxes are just going in and taking up landfill space and like emitting emitting methane which apparently like if this carbon if this climate change is real like i don't know seems kind of odd to me but if it's real like methane's way worse than co2 so let's let's feed some bacteria with it and let's build our soil so yeah that was kind of a do you know of anybody else doing that I, I, man, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure there's so many smart people running around these days, man. Like, I'm sure there's a guy that's doing it, but he just is like doing his thing and is like, it isn't on a podcast talking about yeah. it, you yeah. know? Well, I'm glad you are. I mean, to me, shit like that is, uh, you know, little things like that, understanding, you know, the, the pivots and the redirections that need to take place can be the difference between a nation surviving or not. I mean, cause it, it is that serious, you know? Um, so you've been doing that for, you said, two years now? Mm-hmm. And uh, have you noticed any drawbacks to it? Uh, the cardboard thing? Yeah. No, we've been doing that for probably five years. Now. Oh, okay. I, I haven't noticed I haven't noticed any drawbacks. I mean, really, um, you know, we can kind of take a tangent off into, into soil right now. Um, one of the first times, so the first time that um, we, so the, you've got the cows kind of in a confined setting and they're, basically they're 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 pooping and peeing in this like location so we put the cardboard out um and the cardboard basically when it when a cow goes pee there's a lot of ammonia and like different things in it but there's a lot maybe a lot of ammonia so the carbon the cardboard soaks that ammonia up and it also like mixes with the manure right 
And so then we will compost that. So you have to go through an anaerobic and then an aerobic um, reaction. And we, we should do be better at that, but we're pretty limited with our damn bandwidth anyway. We do the best we can. So you take that and then you put it in a manure spreader. So we have this guy, he comes out, everybody's got a, you know, we've got all these people, infrastructure, um, private contractors, and you take it out in this manure spreader. So you throw all the, it's like literally a shitty job. Yeah. Like they're just like throwing, like we, we would feed 14 million pounds of grass. So that means there's the equivalent of that in manure yeah. plus like, you know, 10 gallons of water a day. So put that in the feed truck or in the manure spreader, take it out onto the pivots and we just spread this stuff out on the, out on the pivots. So this one pivot in particular, um, it was like, we're kind of, we were kind of transitioning out of just like alfalfa, which is a, a legume. It kind of gets like a purple flower. It's really high in nitrogen um, or, or high in protein. And it's a, it, it's a nitrogen fixer. So it's a great plant to plant with, um, with grasses because it pulls nitrogen out of the atmosphere and feeds it to the grass, which is what the grass needs. So anyways, um, there wasn't like a real thick planting. So we put this manure down with the cardboard and then we were keeping an eye on it. And so we go into the hibernation of winter and then the next spring. And so I did the same, I did this experiment, so I need to backtrack. So at that same time, that same year, I put the manure on that spring and then I had, and we would always put like a little bit of uh, fertilizer on, um, the, the artificial fertilizer. So there's urea, basically it's called urea, the chemical version of nitrogen. And I had the guy that sells the stuff. He came out and I was like, you know, and I'd never done this before. I was like, all right, looking at my soil, how much nitrogen, how much pho uh, phosphorus and potassium should I put on? So I just went with whatever he told me. And they're obviously, they're selling something. So we went heavy. So I put it on. That next spring, the the area of the field, the, the two outside rounds, so the two out, like we have these center pivots, right? And so I'd put the manure on the two outside rounds. It greened up two weeks earlier than the, the part of the field that had the, the chemical fertilizer put on it. Wow. And I have, and I, and I was like, I was sold because then it just like, it kept on rocking. And so then these little particles, uh, I mean, the cardboard was basically broke down. It didn't fully compost, but there was like two inch chunks out there and you go flip those over and like underneath you would find worm castings. And it's like, there is this whole universe that's living underneath the soil that like we're not commodity, commercial agriculture isn't even talking about it. I mean, it's starting to come on, but I mean, I went to college for, I mean, animal science, right? And so I had some soil classes. The only thing we were talking about was nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Nobody is talking about the biology of the soil, what's like the natural, what is going on. The only thing they were talking about is what was being sold and marketed to us through these, you know, corporations that are also sponsoring the schools, agriculture programs. Dude, they, they own both ends of it, you know, I mean, it, and it's just, it's the, it's just, it's nuts really when you yeah. really uncover. But so, but with the soil is like, I don't know if this is like a really interesting fact is if you have a handful of biological, biologically healthy soil, there is more life in that in the form of you know bacteria protozoa fungi who knows like there, i'm sure there's stuff that we don't even know about yet 
there's more life in a handful of biologically healthy soil than there is in all terrestrial life on a planet. Hmm. And really? so it's basically, it's like, you know, you look up at the stars and you're like, you know, it just keeps going on and on. Well, to me, like soil is basically the same thing, but in reverse, like it's so in depth. And so this approach of commodity agriculture to just say, yeah, well, just put some nitrogen on it. Like it's, it's so it's just stupid. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, 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 it's not very thoughtful, yeah. you know, of like the whole ecological um, process of things. Yeah. So have you guys had your soil <laughs> tested uh, and, and how does it compare to, you know, other farms or other States or. Yeah, we've, uh, we've actually, we've done, we had, was, uh, it was two years ago. We did some initial, initial testing, and um, I mean, I don't even remember what those what those re results were. We didn't really get into we didn't really get into it a whole lot. I mean, this is something that's really interesting that I've been finding. Um, and it, it, I just noticed it myself is like, you know, I'm I'm like I, I consider myself like, and I consider all people like we're we are not of nature, like we are nature, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like the proof is like when you're a baby, like your fingers yay long. And now it's as long as it is. Well, that is that that is from everything that is in your hand came from the soil, you know. So it's like we are we are nature. And so I'll go out into a field and like it was amazing. We did an experiment with 120 acres this past spring, um, and we instead of cutting. Th so typically, what in our area people will, you know, grow your pasture, go out, fire up the tractors cut the hay, bale the hay, or, you know, or put it in the haylage, and you'll get three cuttings. So you'll cut it, let it grow back, cut it, let it grow back, cut it, let it grow back. So three times. So this last year, I was thinking about, like, you know, I've been learning about, like, soil health, and it's like, man, really what we're shooting for is, like, there's a lot of compaction, you know, driving tractors and stuff. Soil gets very, very tight, and to have, like, real health, biologically healthy, deep, um, humifying mineralizing soil the first component is you got to have oxygen in it and so you can either take a tractor out and you can you know spend a bunch of time and money and diesel and rip it to put the oxygen in and my theory was like maybe if we just let our plants that are already there maybe if we don't cut them and we let them grow bigger and stronger than they ever have been those roots will push down deeper than they ever have and they'll die. So the roots basically like they fraction, they, they, they've fractionalized the soil and they put oxygen down there. So it's like water goes down. It, it water basic gravity, water goes down and then plants follow the water down. And then the bacteria, they follow the dead plants down because that's how the whole, the whole cycle of that works. So we, we let these, we let this field go all year long and we walk out there and, uh, you know, so it's getting close to, it's probably in October and my wife and I are out there picking up some pipe, uh, irrigation pipe. And it's like the feel of this field compared, and I've been doing this my whole life. The feel of this field was absolutely like, it was right. Like, and so I guess my point is like, I don't really need some num I don't really need numbers to know that we're on the path. Cause I'm out there and I'm in touch with it. And I'm like, we're digging around and we're looking and like you part the grass and it's like so tall and seeds are all falling to the ground. Um, and it's so thick and you get look in the understory 
and there's just spiders and slugs and uh, worm castings everywhere. And there's there's so we looked more towards like what are we seeing? Like, do we see like other critters and stuff? Are they liking it here? Because that's like that's our sign. Um, and it, and it was amazing. So we'll be. I'm really excited to see like how that how that field will perform next year. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, to me, it, it kind of reminds me of something I've thought of for years, even before, you know, it was really something that was more mainstream, but like preservatives on food, <clears throat> you know, it's like most people, I, I think nowadays more people think of it this way, but, um, you know, you think about if you're putting a man-made chemical on meat or, you know, whatever, and it's something that's nasty enough to keep mother nature from, from fucking with it, like that's probably bad for you, you know, whether it's cold yeah. cuts, or, I mean, wh whatever it is like, you know, and so kind of to your point, I think, you know, more than anything, like nature finds a way and, and uh, you know, if, if life is interested in being there, you know, that's as good a sign as any that, that it's healthy and yeah. balanced in, in the way that it needs to be. Yeah. I know you guys, you, ha you have had your meat tested, right? And, and comparatively, like your meat from a nutrient density and, um, and like from a phytonutrient uh, data standpoint, your guys' beef, I, I'm, I'm reading 239% more nutrient dense than, than grain finished beef, which is what most is, right? Yeah. Can you kind of speak to both that as well as kind of the, I, w I would say that maybe the marketing gimmick misnomer, mislabeling of grass finished versus organic, ver you know, like all the different labels <laughs> at Whole Foods yeah. or Trader Joe's or whatever that get people to buy shit that's kind of misrepresented. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this, the industry, it's, it's so dirty. Um, it, it was complete, you know, we got into this thing and just were like kind of wide eyed and just coming in very naive and stuff. And like, after being in this space, this uh, food space, you know, for 10 years, you basically come up, it's like, there's so much bullshit going on. And like, when you're when you're dealing with like the local people, like most of those folks are pretty salt of the earth. Like they're they're just they're just trying to make a living, and they know that if they if they blow it with you as a customer, um, you know you're not going to come back. So they're doing they're doing a really good job. But then as you move up the the food chain and you see uh, these these meat businesses, meat companies start to get larger and larger and more centralized it all just becomes a game, you know, and it just, it just turns into business and, 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 and it's, and and basically just a bunch of lies. I, in my opinion, um, you know, corporations have been proven time and time again to, you know, are, are you going to do the right thing? You know, the thing that has integrity or are you going to do the profitable thing? And that's just exactly where we're at. Because, you know, the organic label popped up and it really did. It was like initially it was it was it was, um, you know, a cut above. And, you know, I'm not don't get me wrong. Like I'm not I'm not here to talk shit about like if you're raising corn like, man, I support you. Um, it, Farmers and ranchers, they need all the help we can get, but it's not like a snap your fingers and like just stop now. There has to be a transition period because we have all been sold on this model of food production by big agriculture. And 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 now 
it's kind of getting demonized, you know. So the farmer and rancher don't like don't be hard on the guy that's raising soybeans. Yeah, like, we just need to educate. So then you like so the organic space, you know, there's all of a sudden, yeah, like, I mean, you know what organic anything costs is like it's a shitload more. And um, so the corporations they see it and you know they start bringing stuff in from all over the world and uh, I mean there's I think it was a handful of years ago, maybe it was like. 2019 possibly don't quote me on that but there was a study that found 63 percent of organic labels um, were found in non-compliance you know and then it's like there isn't enough like organic police to go out there and so they found they found these like giant cargo ships like i don't know how much wheat you can fit on a cargo ship but it's it's more than a handful of pancakes right and so they, they they find these these shipping containers like coming in uh, or full cargo ships and they're just like complete bullshit but it doesn't really matter because they can bring them in like even if they get caught just pay the fine like the margins like they're they're the margins they're making on this stuff is just profound so i mean i'm at the point now like my wife and i have been talking about it and it's either marketing suicide or it's just like a good idea but it's like quit trusting labels like if they're big like you can't trust them because at the end of the day it all comes down to an affidavit and you're like, are you, you have to be able to trust a person. Yeah. And you're like, is this person that signed this, are they honest and have integrity or are they just, you know, trying to make a buck? And that's like, that's kind of where, where we're at in the world today. And I would encourage everybody, like, go find somebody that's raising some food. Like, I don't care where you're at. Yeah. Like, there's a guy, there's some, there's a guy raising eggs and ducks and, you know, lamb and cucumbers or a gal, like, there's people all over on the outskirts of your city and they need you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like it, the, the statistics are nuts. Um, the big question is, is like, who's going to raise our food, you know? And, uh, you know, the, the farmers and ranchers in the United States, like we're kind of a dying breed, man. Yeah. I mean, there's a resurgence around this regenerative agriculture, but I mean, the, the average farm, the average farmer and rancher in the United States is 60 years old. No shit. No shit. That's the average. That's the average. Do you know, from an outsourcing standpoint, do you have your arms around the statistics of how much food does not come from the United States that's consumed here? I don't. I don't have that. I know, like America, like we make, we we export, like we're the we're a food giant. But like, we also bring a lot in, though, too, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I like, mean, like in the beef space, we sent like a, a lot of the a lot of this grain finished beef that we're producing here in the United States, like highly marbled meat. That's what people are after. Um, it gets exported all over the United States or all over the world. Like yeah. a lot of it goes um, now is going to China, but it's like the, well, it's rich people food. Right. Um, and then at the same time, there's this like sleight of hand going on. Like in 2015, um, there was this legislation called the country of origin labeling and they revoked it. And basically, so Right now, what we see going on is you can go to a grocery store and it, the, you, the, the, on the package of like whatever, you're going to go buy some, say you're buying some hamburgers, it says made in America. That meat can come from one of 18 different countries and can be shipped. So they, they harvest the animal under, you know, who knows what kind of standards, Brazil. They harvest these animals. They send them over here. And all they have to do, they go to these large cut houses, they open the package of meat, and then re it. Like, maybe they cut it up, I don't know. But they just have to change the packaging. 
and it's made in America. Really? Yeah. One of 18 different countries. I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bub's Naturals. Uh, the hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him, and his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And, um, you know, for me, it's it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that, um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and, and a guy that I went to war with. And, uh, you know, the, the Bub's brand is not only super quality, um, you know, collagen uh, collagen powder as well as mct oil powder um you know but they also give back to the glenn doherty memorial foundation uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the glenn doherty memorial foundation which uh you know to me just furthers uh you know the the mission set on veterans day they give 100 percent back so uh, i do believe it's the best collagen on the planet uh, i like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee the MCT oil powder, the same thing, uh, mixes in very easy. It tastes great. Uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint, from a joint support, gut support, um, you know, MCT oil and collagen are, are two components, especially as, as we age, uh, that are integral components to, uh, to health. And so, uh, to be able to work with Bub's Naturals and, uh, be able to, to work with them and, and sponsor a product that, uh, number one is a high quality product and number two is is so near and dear to uh, you know to my heart and to the mic drop podcast for for who it uh, was started for and what it stands for um, you know it's just a, it's an amazing amazing place to be so um, it is whole 30 approved um, it's uh, sport certified so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that um, and I will say that um, you know right now they're they're offering 20 uh, percent. <clears throat> 20% off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and uh, use the mic drop code. So uh, I really highly encourage you to, to try it out, incorporate it into your day to day for joint health, for brain health, uh, for cognition, for gut health, and, uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh, in Glenn Bub's honor. So uh, go to bubsnaturals.com. Mic drop is the code 20% off. So, I mean, is it is it an, a safe assumption to say that you know, a lot of the beef that says made in America or from USA isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 70, 70 to 80% of the grass, the beef in the grass fed space is coming from, is not coming from the United States. No shit. Yeah. 70%. 70 to 80 is what I read. So, so basically like to your point, like unless you know the farm that it's coming from and you know, it was fed and, and you yeah. know, processed here and whatever, like it, it's a fucking dice roll and, and there's a better chance that it's not from here. Exactly. No shit. Yeah. Do you know about um, and even this is interesting. Even in the like in the grass fed in the grass fed space, and I'm not saying grass fed's better than grain fed. I think it is, but you know whatever. Different folks, different strokes for different folks. But um, in the the the, the grass fed, so the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, they set the rules and the regulations for what um, what qualifies as what. And so this is why I think labels are bullshit. So. If you go buy, you go to Whole Foods and you buy, uh, you know, say grass finished beef. The reality of that is that the that beef 
that beef can come like you could I like if I wanted to, I could go buy uh, a calf or a cow that's just like in, you know, from a 10,000 head feedlot. I can load him on a semi, take him out of there. I can go put him on a, uh, a, G- a G- GMO monocrop field that hasn't like, you know, a field of like uh, oats or wheat or rye, any, any sort of a cereal grain. But it, as long as it hasn't seeded out, I can put them on that field. All I have to do is I have to put them on that field for 120 days. And of that 120 days, whatever that animal's consuming, only 30% of it has to come from that field. What the fuck? And, I can, and it can be sold as grass-finished beef. So the other 70% of their diet can be anything whatever fucking wet cardboard there's your grass finished beef yeah. yeah i mean so i mean to me that's fucking staggering it's like i think and again to the point like the the disconnect between most people and and their food and where it comes from and, and it's easy to have outrage on certain things and think that that they're getting you know what 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 is good or or what have you it isn't you know i think most people that, that say go to whole foods is is probably the clearest example that that any anybody listening right now you know has been to one or or there's one near you know fairly close to where they live that to go in there that most people would assume like even i think one of their fucking like mantras marketing mantras is like you know we we've cut all the bullshit out basically like we've dug through the label so you don't have to kind of thing so basically any fucking thing you buy in here is is thumbs up clean because we've made sure that it is and it's total bullshit I mean, because I mean, ju- just looking at some of the packaging on on some of the stuff there, you're like, there's fucking canola oils and you know all kinds of nasty shit in in a number of their products that you're like, yeah. well, why the fuck is this in here? Then? Right, and uh, it's in the health food space. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, you go to like mom and pop health food stores, and and half the products that are supposed to be healthy versions of whatever fucking Doritos or you know whatever, and you're like, the fuck is this? Like, this yeah. isn't any better. It just tastes like shit and costs twice as much. Yeah. But to me, the biggest thing is is the meat, is because that's the one thing that it's like you want you want to be able to trust. You want to be able to, to take for granted that okay, if this is come if this is fucking thirty dollars a pound, and it says you know organic, not, n- no hormones, no antibiotics, grass fed, blah blah blah, and it's coming from Whole Foods, or whatever. That I know that this is good, clean American beef, and there's a good chance that it's not. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, and it's crazy. <laughs> you can trust it. No, the, I mean it's it's, it's nuts because it's. It's just, it's just dudes making money. Yeah, I mean that's that's all it. And so they basically they're just like they're just selling it out, and they're selling you know people that are ignorant yeah. to it. That yeah, you know because we all want to believe. Because look, we're all just super busy, right? Yeah. It's like who has the time to go research research all this stuff? Yeah, and it's like it's hat, but that's that's the reality of it. So then you're like you know there, but it, there's so much education, and it's continually evolving. And so this was really. Uh, something that like blew my mind, you know, we, so we send, uh, we're part of, we were invited to be part of this uh, meat testing study, you know, and they're, they're, uh, it was by Bionutrient Food Association, like brilliant, brilliant people. Um, And so we send, we have three animals, we send the samples in and they're kind of, you know, they average, you know, they're, they're looking at a bunch of stuff that, I mean, honestly, it's like only scientists really care. It's just like, it's just like they send me this spreadsheet with like 800 different chemicals and things on it. And I'm like, all right, what, so what does that mean? Like, can you, it's like speaking Chinese to me. So they look at it. And so they have a, um, 
they have a data, they've uh, accumulated a, a database. So they, they're comparing our beef to other grass finished beef. And they're also comparing it to, they have a, gra- a grain finished database. So the, uh, the phytonutrients. So phytonutrients are these metabolites. So you need to think of it as like everything, you know, every plant, uh, tree, shrub, everything that is growing terrestrial has got chemicals that are, um, that are unique to it, right? And so the idea is the more, diverse an, the more diverse an animal's diet is, the more these metabolites, um, phytonutrients, uh, are going to be stored in the fat because the fat is where a lot of nutrients and also uh, uh, toxins are stored. So they start they start testing our stuff and, um, and well and on these phytonutrients like it's like a whole new realm of science like there's a guy uh, Dr. Stefan von Vliet like this guy he's a freak of nature like so freaking smart and I'm talking to him about these phytonutrients and he's like honestly he's like I think we're only seeing five percent of what's actually there with the technology and they've got access to the best he's like I think we're only seeing five percent so you look at your you know. You you go buy some food and you look at your ingredient list, right? There's like nine things on there, like carbs, protein, sugar. If you're sick, you know, and you have your blood work done, they're like looking for 150 different things. They've identified 26,000 different metabolites. I mean, it's literally, it's like going into the jungle and saying, does this cure cancer? Like we have have no idea. So the idea of food being just what, uh, you know, government labels are telling us it's complete bullshit like it's it's evolving it's just it's evolving and so they look at our stuff and they send it back and they're like wow you guys like you guys are way up there so as far as the metabolites like our our grass finished beef it um scored like 64 percent higher than their grass finished database so there's 64 percent more you could say we're 64 percent more nutrient dense than grass finished beef 239 percent more nutrient dense than grain finished beef wow so there's been this big argument of like what's the difference between grass fed and grain fed a lot of grain finished animals like they're they're raised in a grass fed environment until like that last you know period of their life yeah when they're just pumped you know just they're hammering them with grain so they're basically just getting like corn um some sort of a protein like a distiller's uh, distiller's grain or alfalfa, and then a lot of filler, you know, just to fill fill up the void. So they're not having access to a diverse diet. They're n- they're sure as hell not getting to pick yeah. what they eat. And I feel like that's why our animals, um, some of the animals, uh, they have a they scored higher is because when you're out in like a natural range setting, you know, these animals have a chance to pick from this grass or this grass, you know, maybe they're getting some pollen from a sagebrush, you know, or like a sedge or like they're not keying on the flower, but invariably they're going to get a bit of the flower in there versus, you know, a, a grain, a grass fed beef. That's just like living on a field that somebody planted those specific grasses into that. So I think there's, it, you could almost say like that the, the, these type of animals are much closer to what like our ancestors who were running around naked with spears would have been eating. You know, yeah. it's like the closest thing to to wild game that you could possibly get that isn't a wild game. Yeah, you know. Well, and and so you know, I think that speaks to you know also why you know the monocrop fed 
livestock fill in the blank, whatever type of meat is it, why it's so bad is because it's lacking a lot of that, that biodiversity that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the mechanisms used in, in the struggle or, or challenge that's presented by, and maybe, maybe I'm brainwashed by, uh, you know, big, big industry, but you know, the, the worms, parasites, um, you know, problems that, that typically is why, is why so many livestock, uh, meats are are given you know wormers antibiotics you know stuff like that how do you guys combat that without doing that is is it because you're raising them right that there's just far less of a need for shit like that or or is there natural remedies like how, how do you kind of manage the, the parasites yeah the parasites i mean there's there's a lot of studies been have been done um as far as you know moving away from the, the chemicals. And so we don't, we don't pour our animals. And so basically by, by pouring, you pour an insecticide on their back and that pretty, it's supposed to wipe out all of the, um, fleas and ticks. Yeah. And the critters that are living on them. But you know, what's wild is like when we were doing it, like it doesn't matter. Like we're throwing our money away. You pour these animals and like supposed to get rid of this shit. And it, by the, by, so you do it in the fall, winter time. Um, and then by spring, like if a cow's got an itch, if she's got something like a lice or something, she'll rub. Well, shit, by, the, by springtime, half of them are rubbing anyways. Yeah. So all this stuff, all these solutions are actually like making the problem worse. Well, and, and they're, they're toxic, you know, to, to the animals and to us eating them. And it's a waste of money. It's, and it's a bad waste for the of money. Well, it's making, it's making these pests more resistant, right? Yeah. And, um, it's killing the environment. I mean, there's been studies done on on dung beetles, right? So dung beetles are like this crazy little critter and animal poops and the dung beetles they come in and they tear the they tear the cow pie apart and then they, you know, move that move that cow turd down into the soil to basically facilitate the the nutrient cycling, you know? And if you pour if you give one of these cows one of these insecticides like half like and so for a couple days all the cow turds from this cow they're going to be full of this stuff so any dung beetle any insect that goes in there i think a cow pike they've identified like uh over 130 different species of insects living within a cow pie and like and and upwards of like 500 different things in one 12 inch like cow turd and so anything that moves in there that is where these toxins are, it's dead. And we'll, and we'll, in the half-life of this stuff, like, it's years. And then so the, I mean, there, there's way bigger implications than that, though, in that if, if they're not sifting through the cow shit and bringing it down into the soil and almost micro-tilling it, then now the soil takes a, takes a hit and is less... Yep. nutrient dense and, and so the grass growing out of that is less nutrient like it's just this vicious cycle and, and it, is it safe to say or, or assume that that's why or a big reason why between that and, and uh, the shitty fertilizers and, and insecticides pesticides etc is why the the soil quality is so shitty in the United States in so many places yeah I mean there's a, there's a lot there's a lot to that contribute to that you know you have like tillage We've been, we've been doing deep tillage and plowing, you know, people plow fields and uh, flips the biology over. So you have different, uh, you know, it's like an apartment complex. You have different bacteria that live in the top one 
inch and then you know have you have different tenants in the two inch and the three and the four so you have all these different um critters living in the soil and when you flip it over i mean it's just like an earthquake you know like an earthquake in turkey i mean this is the same thing it just wipes it out and it has to start back over so you have tillage problems you have chemical problems fertilizer problems um you so, know so why 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 till then why why do people do, you're saying that you shouldn't I I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it costs a, it costs it's, it's it's expensive, but I mean like going back to like that's the model we got sold on, you know? Everybody we got sold on this like you should have one field that is full of one thing, you know, just a field of grain or a field a field of corn. And don't get me wrong, like it's we've been able to produce food. Like we're we're the the amount of food we're producing is is just it's it's asinine even though like we waste 40 percent of it 40 percent of the food that we produce in this in the in the united states doesn't make it 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 doesn't it isn't consumed wow it gets either lost in the process of the the harvest or the distribution or you know gets scraped off your plate into the into the garbage can you know so there's a lot contributing to the the degradation of the soil but you know it's like it's interesting when you put nitrogen Bio, healthy bio, healthy biologically healthy soil can produce nitrogen. I think there was like um, seven seven different types of nitrogen. One of them being urea, the synthetic the synthetic uh, type of nitrogen. So I like to think of it as kind of like testosterone replacement therapy, right? So when you put nitrogen, synthetic nitrogen, onto the field, basically what it does is it it kills a lot of the biology. It kills a lot of the healthy um, ecosystem that is actually trying to produce that. So it's the same as like, you, you know, when you start taking testosterone, like you quit producing that yourself. So we, if we, if we supplement the soil with it, now all of a sudden it quits producing. So now you have to do it, right? Yeah. You have to keep it. So it's, it's, it's interesting to look at like, look at soils. Like we've create we've turned our soil into a, a, a massive drug addictive, yeah. Uh, ecosystem, bunch of fucking tweakers. In the yeah, side. it's yeah. it's a bunch of tweak, a bunch of tweakers. You know, yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, um, and this is your food system. Yeah, you know, are are there um, any grocery store chains or meat purveyors uh, outside of you guys, of course, um, that that are also doing it right? In your opinion, like, is there a big chain that you're like, ah, you know, there's a lot of people doing it, man. Like, there's a lot of people. But the that people, are, like, I guess for the listener, like, if they live in, you know, wherever, like, obviously we can order food from you and have it drop shipped. But, like, is there a a chain, you know, that, that's, even if it's regional, like, are there any other, are there any grocery stores that you would say, yeah, I would trust going to that place? Well, I mean, I don't think it's really the grocery store, um, you know, because it, it, they have a lot of different, um a lot of different products here. This is an interesting story. So I have a, a friend, he's a, kind of out in the Chicago area and, uh, he's got, he's got his own beef, beef. He's producing beef and he decided he was going to start up a retail. He wanted a retail location. So he goes to these, he's like scoping out all these strip, these strip malls. Right. And, uh, goes in and there's a, a pick and save. The one he finally decides on is a great location on the on the right street and everything. There's a pick and save just like down the way a little ways. So um, he's wanting to rent the space and they're asking him what for. 
they get blocked. Like, I'm not sure exactly what the legal terminology is, but they won't rent to him because Pick and Save is owned by Kroger. And they have a, I know, something turned into, you know, a, an agreement that nobody, no producers, meat, egg, milk, no, no podunk farmer is going to come in and set up shop within X amount of, you know, distance from any Pick and Save, you know? Oh, shit. Yeah. So he gets he gets blocked there, and then he also gets like gets pushback from the uh, from the landowner or the the tenant, the yeah the landlord. And so was, I was asking him, I was like, well, who owns it? And he's like, well, Pick and Save is owned by Kroger. I was like, well, who owns that? Wouldn't you know it? It's like you go to the top, and it's all owned by these large private equity fucking assholes. BlackRock, Vanguard. Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, there's, there's, and so, and then you look at, so it's like, to me, I'm like, well, why the hell are they, like, why would you care that Farmer Bob is like trying to sell some hot dogs down from you, you know? And it's because they, they're, it's, uh, the food industry is getting more and more centralized. And like people, uh, you know, to me, this is like the most dangerous thing that's happening in our country of anything. Cause it comes down to, if you are well-fed, you are strong, and if you're not, you're weak. And our food system, like, we are giving it away. It's been given away. I mean, you look at, like, the beef industry in general, 86% of the beef that are processed in the United States are controlled. They go through four, four different companies. They're bottlenecked. Two of those companies are Brazilian-owned. You said 86%? 86%. Jesus. Two of those are Brazilian-owned. And, I mean, they've got some, there's some dirty ties there. Yeah. In with these like southern cartels and shit. Like yeah. there's some I've heard I've heard stories that who owns this. You look at like Smithfield. You look at who owns Smithfield. Smithfield is owned by the Shineway Group, I believe, which is like a giant butchery chain in China. Like the pork and chicken industry, dude. I mean, so here's our food system, right? And you're a warrior. Like you know you know how these how these things work. And it's like we have gotten so far and so detached from our food system and like we're just living in la la land looking at these devices i mean geez people are like dying because they walk into a window well because they're selling their you know they're looking at the, just believe everything everybody tells them and it's like our food system is gone like go go to a walmart like look at the condition of the bodies yeah you know and this is like a it's a to me i think this is the biggest thing because and it all really comes down to like Man, if you're like if you're eating Cheetos and drinking Mountain Dew, go to McDonald's, buy just get rid of the bun, eat that patty. Even if it, you're that's a dog shit patty, I don't care. It's better than what you're eating now. And then if you have financial means, continue to split those hairs and and eat nutrient dense foods because the fact of the matter is nutrient dense foods it's proven increases brain cognition. And it's like, well, who wouldn't benefit from more brain cognition? Like the world, we're full, it's full of problems. What's the value of being able to solve your problems, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's a real, it's a really important thing that people, you know, think about it. And, yeah. you know, that's, it's our, it's our strength. Yeah. You know, food no, and I, shelter. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it, you know, and, and I think it's, it's connected to everything too, which I think is is crucial for people to realize is that, you know, it, it's the obvious health benefits, but you know, the, the brain cognition thing is one. 
having a strong military similarly or just having a strong society you know if if the entire society is eating really really shitty food and and not their brains aren't working right yeah. and they're sick all the fucking time and they're overweight a they're they're the obvious is they're nowhere near as productive as they could be the other side of that coin is the healthcare industry is is that you know one of the biggest hotbed political topics in our country is is healthcare and you know how to reduce costs and blah like but but it's based on a system that you know 50 years ago you know 80 years ago however long when it first kind of came to to fruition was based on a society that was far more healthy like there were there were more healthy people than there were sick yeah. and so the numbers could at least add up like now between obesity and cancer and all the other bullshit that plagues our society like there there is no formula that exists where you know so many people when, when there are so many people that are sick and so many people that are healthy and there's there's a huge disparity there th- there is no healthcare coverage that makes sense or or that works math wise where where there's affordable healthcare because there's more people that are fucked up than not yeah you know and and to me like this is a a staple problem that that you know from a causality standpoint contributes to that that plague of our society in terms of everybody's sick and fucked up and constantly going to the doctor and has all these problems and 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 it starts with this yeah um so you know from i guess the takeaway i'm getting from you is that instead of shopping at whether it's whole foods traded like in any of those places is that find farmers markets and and or even more importantly small farms that are that are near you where you can go and and see or or kind of verify how they're farming and how they're raising and, and, and know what's in the food that you're getting and buy from them. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Because you're doing, you're, you're, you're fixing, uh, you're fixing things on a couple of different levels. One is like, you're going to love it, you know, go out and like visit the farm and get some nature in your life and like learn about your food, like get connected, go meet the animal that you're going to eat. Like there used to be, uh, you know, a reverence to food when you like you took, when two people sat down and broke bread together, like it, it had value. Yeah. Um, and you know, that farmer and rancher, like he, he needs you. Like you're, you are literally, you are, you're improving your food security, which I think is going to become a really big deal in, in the future is knowing, knowing that you can get your food, knowing that you can get clean nutrient dense food that has a shitload of value. I mean, I, I saw it firsthand when this, all this COVID shit went down, um, we distribute, so we ship our direct consumer, our direct consumer business. We send, uh, we ship meat out of Denver. My nephew runs the warehouse down there. So a good friend of mine, he, he, his family owns this business. I mean, this is a sweet warehouse. Like if you're like, like warehouses, this one's cool. <laughs> if you're so, in a warehouse porn, if you're this will blow your hair back. Man, it's an ammonia system. This thing's yeah. badass. But they have, they can literally, they, they can fit a thousand semi loads Jesus. of protein in this place. Like it is huge. When COVID hits, like I was just down there at like the perfect time. And I look and I, dude, I can see coast to coast in this place. Like there was literally probably a one semi load of protein left in that whole warehouse and they got resupplied, you know, before they completely ran out. But that really, I was like, holy crap. Like you see these massive cities and we're all just living in the, like the supply chain is just like semis coming and filling and refilling. The second they stop. 
Fuck, man, it's like it's so fragile. Like yeah. it's so centralized. And you like think what that looks like. Like think if uh, think if something was to happen and like there's a bobble. Say it went three weeks. You know, it went that thing went two weeks. Say it went three weeks. Well, I have grocery stores. They're out in like two days. Yeah, you know, especially when people panic. They're out in fucking two hours. <laughs> Dude, I mean, we saw that with toilet paper, right? Yeah. All right, guys, as you know, I'm into uh, health and fitness uh, and specifically how nutrition relates to it. Um, coffee is a, has been a staple of mine and, and I think most people's for a long time. Um, as you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of Mudwater, which is a sponsor of this show. They have been uh, for a while now and, and we have a great partnership. I love their product. Um, it's a phenomenal alternative to coffee. Uh, for me, you know, coffee, there's jitters, there's mold in it. Uh, you know, a lot of times it tends to, to kind of upset my stomach. Uh, but Mudwater has adaptogenic uh, mushrooms. Um, there's a fraction of the caffeine that coffee has. There's a little bit, but it's very, very little. Um, and it, it really leans on, on mushrooms and the blend of matcha and chai for kind of that sustained energy that, that continues to go and, and doesn't crash the way coffee does when, uh, when it runs out. Uh, they use lion's mane for alertness, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and raishi to support the immune system, turmeric for soreness, and cinnamon for antioxidants. Um, I, I really enjoy that first cup of warm liquid in the morning by taking mud water instead of coffee, and I'll put uh, just a splash of, of heavy cream uh, or even some protein powder, uh, some collagen powder, um, and I also throw uh, usually a couple drops of uh, stevia or uh, monk fruit vanilla to make it kind of a, a thick, normal morning coffee ritual type of uh, concoction. And uh, I got to tell you, it, it it does wonders for me, and, and I'm really really glad that I switched. It's been you know better part of a year now, uh, you know that I've been taking that uh, and using that as part of my uh, daily morning routine, and it's fantastic. I love it. I, I can't re recommend it enough. Uh, it's 100% USDA, uh, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Uh, and they also donate to the Berkeley Center for Science of Psychedelics, which is, uh, you know, groundbreaking and leading research to help veterans with PTSD uh, and other uh, associated illnesses and, and uh, syndrome. So uh, great cause, great company, phenomenal product. If you go to Mudwater, that's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com forward slash mike to su support this show and the product uh, and use the code mike mud m-i-k-e-m-u-d all caps for 15 percent off that's again mudwater m-u-d-w-t-r dot com forward slash mike and the code is mike mud m-i-k-e-m-u-d all caps for 15 percent off go check them out i mean with with a lot of things yeah. honestly i mean even a, a lot of the regulars like the the you know, meat is fucking gone. Yep. You know, dairy is fucking gone. What What's interesting is uh, almost all of the uh, meatless products, the the vegan shit, yeah. like they're still yeah. stocked full of that shit. Yeah. You know, people weren't buying it, uh, which I think is telling. You know, yeah. but um, but anyway, I mean, yeah, like it, the the quickness with which you realize, to your point, how fragile our our supply chain is, really with everything, but especially food, because you know that that's going to um, Im impact us the quickest. Uh, it was shocking. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're hungry, you only have one problem, right? And so I think that's like, it, it's a, it's a major thing. We've just, we've gotten, we've gotten too centralized. Yeah. And it's very efficient. Like dudes are making a shitload of money. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the, the average farmer and rancher of every dollar spent, like you spend a dollar in the grocery store of that dollar, like anywhere from 10, only from 10 to 16 cents of that dollar actually makes it back to the farmer and rancher. Wow. I mean, agriculture, the debt in the ag industry is at an all time high. I think it was like $416 billion. Wow. Since 1980, I think we've gone from like 1.3 million ranchers to like now we're at like 700,000. Like we lose eight, 17 to 18,000 ranchers a year just go away foreclosed on or you know sell out because it's uh like it's hot it's tough yeah like it's mentally and physically it's a it's a challenging thing and so why would the kids stick around yeah you know to starve like ma and pa yeah you know when they can move to new york and get a tech job exactly exactly yeah and then you now we see this like huge influx of like um you know wealthy people are moving out west and buying up these places like it's it's insane yeah and not doing shit with it I mean, we, we've got a, it's interesting. There's a guy, a guy not too far, like in our, in our little neck of the woods, the guy is like super wealthy, like super wealthy guy, like just rolled in, bought up, you know, and he's got standing offer. Anybody wants to sell out, I'll buy it. And I mean, he put, he's put together this just nutso place. Like it's, yeah. it's amazing. Is he, is he, is he just like stockpiling the land and doing nothing with it? I mean, the, the dude just like rolled in, started his own beef company, spent, oh, okay. a, spent you know, a shitload of money and it's like has his Facebook yeah. ad. It's like, it's literally like watching Yellowstone. Yeah. Like you would, if there's so much greenwashing. So you, if you see their ads and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to blow them up, but um, if you see their ads, like, yeah, they hired, the, yeah, so they hired the <laughs> Sam Elliott of, yeah. you know, voice and like, we've been here for any years. Like. It's it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, you know, is is he doing it right in terms of how he's raising it, or is he fucking it all up? I mean, that just it depends. I mean, I don't agree with what they're doing, but yeah. you know, it's probably better than the freaking Nigerian beef that you yeah. know you could be potentially consuming. Yeah, God, that's crazy, man. Um, so, in, in terms of like what you guys have going on uh, from a business standpoint, how many head of cattle do you have, and and volume wise like what what can you guys accommodate or what what do you move per month per year you know what have you i mean it's been it's been a challenging son of a bitch we've been uh you know we started out in the wholesale industry it was like slinging beef to you know restaurants mainly in the jackson hole area because they're you know they've got money people don't realize is like the the closer you get to where food's raised like the worse the food is yeah you know you go in these little towns like how do you want that fried yeah "Yeah, you bet (laughs) And uh, so there's no money, like there's no money where we're at. So we would go over to Jackson Hole because we're obviously trying to make make some money and uh, made a bunch of accounts, uh, made made some great relationships, slinging beef to a lot of, uh, you know, big places over there. And then uh, I, I detached a ligament in my in my leg and I was like in my ankle. And I was like, dude, this is this is too much. Like we're throwing box like we go I'd spend I would drive to, so we processed because there was no, at that time, there was no USDA plant in Wyoming. So like one week I would drive, I would haul animals down to the processor in Northern Colorado. It was like 480 mile drive. So, I'd, so one week I would drive the animals down and pick the animals from the previous two weeks up, bring them home. And then the next week I would drive to Jack. So I was just spending my life on the road. We'd show up with like, you know, throwing 6,000 pounds of boxes around, you know, moving in the cool. We didn't have a you know forklift or anything. It was great, and uh, and then COVID strikes, and well, like kind of our game was we would spend like all winter stockpiling um, meat. 
so that when when the tourism show up, you know, we could just like hit the like flush and just dump all of our inventory into Yellowstone National Park, Grand Teton National Park, all these guys. And they just call me up and they're like, hey, Mr. Carter, like we're, we're sorry, we're, we're not opening. And I'm like, yeah. Bro, what? <laughs> I, like, I don't have any investors. Like what? Now what? Yeah. And uh, I mean, we figured, I don't know how we, I don't know how we made it. Like, wow. so we pivoted in, into this, um, you know, direct consumer model, which is, that's a whole, that's got its own set of, uh, you know, challenges. Sure. But yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, our home place, there's like 40,000 acres and my, we're, you know, we help, help a lot with my in-laws and are really trying to move, um, you know, really expand, you know, we like, we, we like selling meat, you know, I like, I like people being able to, you know, feed themselves with a high, the highest quality of product. You know, I'm really proud that I'm, I'm pretty sure like at this point in time, like, I mean, I'm not saying that we've got the healthiest beef, um, but until somebody else like puts up numbers that are better than us, like I think we do. Yeah. I mean, our like the our essential amino acids is seventy percent higher than the closest grass finished beef. Like, That's than, incredible. Than the man. average, and that was something like they. I was just going through the spreadsheets and the science. They weren't even looking at that. Wow. Um. You know, our omega. I, I always get that wrong. It's like I think it's the omega three to six or six to three. It's considered like a one to ten, whichever the ratio is. It's considered three times healthier when compared to the closest grass finished beef. That's that's amazing. And so it's like that's we're not even looking at like the the grain finish. Yeah. But um, how, how many head of cattle do you guys manage? Uh, so right now we've got like uh, we've got seven hundred seven hundred head on like the home place there. We got three hundred head of heifers. We'll be calving here in another. I don't know, two, two weeks, probably. Well, about the time I get home, it's like, we're going to need to kind of get our poop in a group. Um, but then like my old man, he's a wild man. So he, he leases like a ton of property around the place. So I'd say like, we've got our hands in the management of, you know, I don't want to give you like the whole number, but there, we've got our hands in the management of like close to, you know, half a million acres Wow. in, in, in Wyoming. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I want I, got, I wanted to come back to because I forgot. I was just curious. Like one of the things is no antibiotics. You guys don't use antibiotics. Mm -hmm. for, so if a if an animal does get sick or it gets a, a bad infestation of parasites, how do you handle that? I mean, we're like we're definitely in the business of keeping things alive, you know. But a lot of that, like what we've learned along the way, it's you know, it's kind of like when you take you you have you have kids and you put them in school, like they all just get sick. And so you're like, there's this like process to get through it. Um, and so it's like, it's all about like the management. It's like, don't wean, when we wean our calves, like keep the stress down. Like weaning is basically like the process of like in the fall, when you take the calf off of the cow and yeah. separate them, it's time for them to go on their way. So instead, what we used to do is we would take the cat, put them all in the corral, sort them, and we'd keep the calves in the corral and let the cows out. Well, now we switch the thing. We switch it, and so we now we keep the cows in. So the calves go right back out, and they're all spread out in the field or the range that they just came from, and they're just like, so they're not standing in a bunch of dust, and they're like in a confined, tight space, you know? So there's just like management strategies that can you, you can do to mitigate that. Like last year, you know, like we don't, like when we're great, we're, we're calving out on the ground, out, outside, you know, we've like we grew up like, um, you know, having calves in like February, right? Because then they weigh more and you're going to make more money. Well, what a terrible idea that is, you know, like every, in Wyoming right now, like in February, like things are just going to die, you know? 
And so we moved our calving dates later. So now we're calving in like April and May, like when the, when the deer and the antelope are. And all of a sudden, if you're spread out, like the animals aren't getting sick. Yeah. So it's just more rare. It's far more rare that they even get sick. But in, in the instances yeah. they do, you just kind of let it run its course. I mean, in the instances they do, like we'll give them like a, a an anti, you know, give them a shot of like a LA two hundred or, or an antibiotic, and so like we're not saying we are a hundred percent anything, yeah. But we're saying like we're sure as hell trying, and we're cognizant of this. To me, like the the antibiotics and stuff, like I don't. Where I see it gets real messy is like when you get into these feed the the, the feedlots, like the giant feedlots. Like what they're doing is they're feeding animals antibiotics and they're not sick. Yeah, They're feeding the, them a low dose of antibiotics to keep them from getting sick. So everything is getting a dose, not just like the animal that's showing a symptom or something. They're just like, it's this like preventative, like everything gets a dose of, uh, of medicine yeah. just to keep it from even like getting, getting started. Yeah. And so you see these like, you see these like really aggressive things that are gaining, you know, it's like kind of like a MRSA virus, yeah. right? You getting see resistance. These, yeah, yeah. They're, they're getting, getting very resistant. Yeah. And in terms in, in those same places usually use a lot of synthetic hormones to gain weight. And, and I don't know. I mean that the, the hormone thing to me seems like that was kind of like in the 1990s, you know, people were putting, uh, you know, ear, ear implants in them. But I mean, even then, like, I think uh, we don't do that. Like nobody, there's like there's one guy in our region that does that, and we source our animals from our like our friends and neighbors. Like we're not saying like we raise the best cows, but it's like the area, and um, you know the nutrient density of our area. Like we're in one of the most mineral mineral dense areas in the the nation, and that's and they have the most powerful grasses in the nation, and that's what leads our you know lends to our animals, and plus their age of what we're harvesting but you know it's uh i i think just different strokes for different folks and because i'll tell you this anytime somebody says yeah we're a hundred percent this like you're you they're not yeah like everybody so i think it's really just like having that honest conversation you're like this is what we're doing and like 99 percent of it is this yeah well i think i mean to me ultimately the the data is what what speaks volumes or or, or what is the the cleanest and easiest thing to go off of is, yeah. is that if the, if companies are analyzing your meat and it's in compared to all of these other ones, yeah. it's that drastically higher in omega profiles and nutrient density and phytonutrients and in biodiversity, all, all of these things, then, you know, to me that says that what you're doing is, uh, is both appropriate and effective, you yeah. know? Um, you know, so that, I mean that to me, that's what matters. Like all the labels in the world and all the, mantras and marketing slogans, you know, and, and, and classifications as far as labeling goes, doesn't mean shit if what's actually inside it isn't worth a fuck. Well, and this is like, this is, was our idea. We're like, quit trusting a label, trust your tongue. Yeah. You know, cause it's like, you've got this tongue in your head and it's connected to a supercomputer. And so you think 300 years ago, we were running around doing whatever um, our ancestors were. And it's, we were designed to go to nutrient dense foods, you know? And so when it comes to the whole food space, like a potato or carrots or chicken, whatever, if it tastes good, that's because it has more nutrients in it. Yeah. Your body, like we still have that in us. Now, when you get into like, you know, processed foods, there's a lot of dirty, dirty ass games being played that, you know, trick your taste buds. But if it tastes good, 
there's a reason. Yeah. It's because your body needs it's the same reason like, you know, uh, pregnant pregnant women have these crazy cravings for, you know, peanut butter and pickles or something. There's something you're, we don't even know it, but our bodies are telling us there's something in there that I I need. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think yeah. it's pretty oh, yeah. trusting yourself. So I started dipping when I was in high school. Um I started with pouches as most kids do, uh, ultimately in the military. I dipped the entire time I was there. A lot of us did. Um, you know, one of the things about dipping is that it, it kind of turns into a, a ritual where, it, you know, it's really part of uh, part of the culture almost uh, oftentimes in the military and in a lot of fields that uh, that are, are that way. And, and uh, one of the things, obviously, you know, real real tobacco uh, isn't the best for you. Um, but because of that ritual being such a, an ingrained part of that culture, it's something that a lot of times we miss. And even when I got out of the Navy, uh, I still dipped for a number of years. Uh, I wish that I had had this product, Black Buffalo. It's a, a tobacco-free alternative uh, that I can tell you it looks, smells, tastes, uh, feels everything like the real thing, uh, but there is no tobacco in it. And uh, it's a phenomenal product. Uh, they have mint, wintergreen, blood orange, uh, straight peach. Um, what's cool is they also, they, they've got, um, the, the straight as far as the, the cut, uh, they've got long cut, they've got pouches. Uh, so it's really kind of a, a one-stop shop for tobacco free alternatives that way. Uh, but they also have a zero, uh, version, which has absolutely no nicotine. So you can get it with nicotine if you want the nicotine, uh, or you can get it without nicotine if, if you don't, uh, it's all food grade ingredients. Um, Green, green cabbage, essentially, uh, as well as pharmaceutical grade nicotine, if that's the, the option that you choose. Uh, but it's just a, an awesome company. It's veteran started, uh, and they're big supporters of the Mic Drop podcast. Uh, and it's a product that, uh, that I stand behind and, and uh, absolutely endorse it. it. It's a great, great crew of guys. What's really cool about uh, Black Buffalo is that it's, uh, you know, it's the look, the feel, the smell, the taste. The texture, everything the same as, as regular dip. And, uh, you know, to me, that's, that's the, the big thing missing from all, all and any other alternatives, little pouches of nicotine or, uh, any of the other stuff that doesn't use a, um, a product that, that really has that same, same feel. It, it doesn't feel like you're actually dipping it. So, uh, Black Buffalo has done a, a masterful job at creating that same experience. Uh, the flavors are all on point. Uh, the long cut and the pouches are, are both just like the the real thing. And again, the fact that you can you can get it with nicotine if you want, uh, or you can get it completely nicotine free if you want. So again, if you're 21 years or older uh, and you dip and you want uh, that tobacco free alternative, go to blackbuffalo.com and the code is Mike Drop for 20% off. Yeah, I mean on on that one thing I've noticed, uh, you know, I've I've tried a lot of different. Uh, you know, local meats and and meats sourced from places that you know are, are kind of stewards in a similar capacity to what you're talking about and one of the things i've noticed is like when that omega profile is is really really appropriate there's almost a, like a fishiness taste to it because of that uh in a, in a good way it's like a not in a spoiled rotten fish kind of way but um but when that omega profile is really really um you know balanced the way that it should be that, that beef has has a very different richness and, and nuttiness and, and kind of almost strange flavor because so so little of it anymore is actually 
biologically appropriate that way, which, uh, which I found interesting. But yeah. um, in terms of what your company actually offers, like what, what can people order from you guys uh, like to go online and, and the, you know, whether it's cuts or packages or whatever, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting journey. We do have, we sell individual cuts, you know, but really what we're trying to do is we're trying to move more towards um, curated boxes. And, you know, because at the end of the day, like, the it has to work for the rancher first. Like, if the food industry is not working for our ranchers and not working for our farmers, then, like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. You know, and so the easiest thing for us is to sell boxes that represent basically represent the whole animal and at the same time like it's very it's important to eat different yeah, cuts of meat i mean some people are like ah, only thing i eat is tenderloin and you're like you like you have to realize like a flat iron has a different flavor than uh, you know a ribeye all these different cuts of meat they have gotten different nutrient profiles within that meat you know it's like tongue tastes different than, uh, you know, a skirt steak. So it's important to eat these different things if we're looking at, like, what our ancestors and primal things. So we, like, try to direct people towards, like, our bighorn boxes. So we have a, a 5, a 10, and a 20-pound bighorn box that, you know, basically we went into the animal and we broke it down, like, how many ribeyes, strip loins, tenderloins, like these high-dollar cuts. Um, the easy, easy cuts are... Um, represent like 15% of the box, 35% of the box is like your tier twos, which is, you know, skirt steak, culotte, top sirloin, you know, bavetsies, really great on the grill. And then the 50% is a, is our burger, which, you know, we did a test the other, or a survey the other day and just asked people, you know, what's your favorite cut? 60% of our customers say our hamburger is their favorite oh, thing. Yeah, just, if you've never had our hamburger, like this yeah. stuff's like, Gold. You wouldn't know you've had hamburger before just because yeah. it's it's got so much flavor to it. Yeah. Do you guys do uh, like marrow bones and organ meats and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. Like, is that part of those boxes? Yeah, we can. Uh, we don't really. I mean, some people are people are kind of finicky, you know. So if, no, they're, I know. Like, if they're not into the liver, you know, and then you send yeah. them liver, they're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Well, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, liver is the is the gold standard. I mean, that, yeah. that's the best thing in that fucking animal. But yeah. Um, we're real close to get to produce it, being able to produce our own uh you know the get some liver and heart into the into into our grinds yeah we're gonna mix some other it'll be it'll be fun when we release that we've got some secret, yeah to me that would got be a awesome. secret sauce going oh good yeah i mean to me that would be ideal is to have either like sausages or uh or ground ground beef that has you know a 10 10 or 15 percent liver and heart in it or whatever so that it doesn't taste like fucking straight liver, uh, but you're also it's getting, yeah. yeah. If you didn't grow up on it, it's tough, which I didn't. Uh, you know, I, I've acquired more of a taste for for organ meats over the last few years of just trying them more often yeah. and stuff, but it's still not something where, like, I'd want a grilled fucking chunk of liver by itself. I mean, that's yeah. tough to fucking stomach. Well, I, you know, and this is like, it, there's so many different um, layers of, like, you know, just the food industry, and one of them is... It's cooking. Yeah. You know, most people buy a steak and they're going to blow it. Yeah, they fuck you know, it all up. They're going to overcook it. But, like, one of the things that is different with our beef is, like, we're processing older animals, you know. So these are these are older animals. So now you've got an animal that is it's mature. So it's not physically growing. So when it's out on grass, it's actually going to be fat. Mm-hmm. So, like, most people have never had grass-finished beef. It has marbling in it. Yeah, it's usually super lean. It's super lean. It's like a you know wild game or an elk or something. So our beef has got 
um, you know, marbling in it. But then, you know, a lot of people like, you wonder why like ribeyes and, you know, tenderloin are so expensive. It's not because it's the best. It's because it's the easiest to cook. Like it's the most, it's tender. It's easy to cook. But with like the introduction of some education and like, I'm like right now I'm like, we're, we've been freaking out with like, it's called a, it's a French cooking technique called sous vide. S O U S V I D. So you take like, and, and we're, we're big carnivores at our house. Like, well, I wouldn't say carnivore, but we're definitely keto heavy. We, we all we eat is beef. Like we eat the stuff that's got the broken packaging and you're like, I oh, was just trim, trim the freezer burn off. Yeah. Like here kids, <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of the joke at the place. But, um, like one of the challenging things with beef is, uh, you know, there's a lot of preparation time. If you're cooking short ribs or brisket, like it's, you yeah, know, you gotta know what the fuck you're doing. You gotta know what you're doing. Or you just like, what we'll do now is I just have this sous vide. So I went to Walmart and I bought this like kind of crappy little cooler with wheels on it. Got my sous vide machine. So for those of you that don't know, sous vide is a, it's basically like a little hot water heater um, that has an LCD on it. And so if you take, you know, you can take your frozen meat. So take it right from frozen in the bag, submerge it in, you know, some sort of a container with water, and then you can set the temperature. So it brings the temperature of the water out while your meat is suspended in its plastic bag, just floating in there. And it'll cook it to basically to whatever you want to perfection. And, and it doesn't dry out. So I'll take like, we'll cook 30 pounds of meat at a time. I'll take cheek meat and, uh, you know, asabuco, which is like the, sh- the shank with a marrow bone in the middle, um, short ribs and a brisket and, or, uh, oxtail, throw that all in there and, uh, you know, set at 180 degrees for 14 hours. And, and it's like, you have 30 pounds of like the most tender, amazing meat. I'll take those short ribs, then I'll season everything, take it out to my Traeger. I love, I love smoke. Yeah. So then I'll smoke it for two hours, so like on like super smoke, like 160 degrees, throw it in the fridge. So then like throughout the course of the week, if you're, you know, when you want some meat, you just go in, like warm up your frying pan and just like cut a piece of that brisket off through it. You have 15 minute brisket. That's yeah. perfect every time. Yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah, it's, it's been a really, we have a lot of fun cooking, uh, cooking with that thing yeah that's really cool that's a yeah. good idea uh, what what haven't we talked about that uh, that we should have oh man i don't know um it's kind of like i don't know <laughs> well, it's kind of a blur i just get to roll in here and i i guess i mean is there anything um you know within your industry that that is a big point that people should and need to know that we haven't haven't kind of covered whether it's something industry-wide or something that you guys do that a lot of places don't or, or something to look for if, they're, if you're looking at a, at a farmer? Like, what, what would your advice be, I guess, uh, for any of the listeners that want to, to kind of be a part of the movement and, and become uh, better stewards of the land by way of supporting ranchers such as yourself? Yeah, I mean, we're just, we really want to just, like, help ins- inspire, inspire other ranchers because, like, the end of the day like none of us are getting out of here alive and so it's all about like what we're going to leave for our future we're just buying whatever we're doing right now we're just borrowing it from our kids and uh i feel like there's a lot of hope you know i think we're going through this transition period like things look pretty dark if that's what you focus on but like 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 let's let's focus on the hope and the optimism because if things didn't suck like there we'd all just be fat and complacent and pretty comfortable so i think it's like looking to the future and like what's next and I, I really believe in the regenerative agriculture movement. Um, you know, if you're, 
if you're in that, if you're a producer and you're in that space, I just, I'd point people, you know, there's a lot of great resources. One of my favorite ones is understand, understanding agriculture. Um, those guys are, they're, they're awesome. I mean, these people have been doing this stuff for, you know, a long, a long, long time, a lot longer than I have. Um, and just, you know, support, you know, if you, if you want better, you know, educate yourself, you know, it's not our fault. It's not the USDA's fault or the FDA's fault for, you know, feeding you poison, but that's what they're doing. Um, you know, and that's like a lot of, probably a lot of your problems are because you're just like ignorant yeah. and you don't want to do the work. Yeah. So it's like, go educate yourself. Like, listen, how easy is it? Like, you don't even have to read a book anymore. You can just listen to a podcast. Yeah, no, you I know? agree. I mean, yeah, it's it's never, it, there, there's a strange irony to technology being what it is between YouTube and the internet and smartphones and the capabilities that we have technologically is that, you know, information is the easiest to get it's ever been in human history and people are the dumbest they've ever fucking been. Yeah. You know, like it, it's a strange duality of, of ignorant laziness that, uh, you know, that's created yeah. this, this strange paradox that way. But, um, where can we find, uh, you guys online and, uh, whether it's social media or how to, how to order from you guys and, and that, that thing. Yeah, check us out at um, our website is cartercountrymeats.com. Um, we're also on Instagram. I think we're all over the place. Instagram's kind of like the big one that we, uh, it's like the big energy suck for us that yeah. we put into. Yeah. <laughs> we don't enjoy it, but we're, yeah. we're, we play the game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're looking to, you know, split hairs and in, improve your health, I mean, our, our stuff's, it's not cheap, yeah. you know, but um I really, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you look at comparing our product to compare, compared to like the commodity bullshit. Um, it's like, well, what's your health worth? You know, when we can put up our numbers that like we have, you know, twice the nutrient density is like a, you know, 239% more nutrient density than a grain finished product you're buying from your grocery store. Like what's your health worth? Like what's the ecological cost of that, that food, um, you're buying because at the end of the day, like that your money spent, like that's your vote. Yeah. So you get to vote for something better or you get to vote for like, let's just keep on staying the same. Yeah. Uh, well put for sure. And uh, I mean, you get what you pay for and garbage in garbage out. Right. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Well, I, I sure appreciate you coming on. I, I do have a parting gift uh, for you, uh, especially, I mean, you're the, the most cowboy cowboy I've had, <laughs> but uh, on the show for sure, yeah. but there's a coin with, uh, with the mic drop logo oh, sweet man. I as well as that. from our good friends at champion choice silver. Uh, hopefully you're uh, a guest that will rock this. This is for you also in this box. All right. Brother. Thank you. No, thank you for coming. I hope uh, I hope you can rock it, especially being in Wyoming. I, I do have to ask, Ten Sleep, uh, Wyoming, is that a uh, um, if you could show show the camera? Oh yeah, set. this is sick. Yes, he's got uh, ceremonial mic drop buckle. Which if uh, if you in Wyoming uh, can't rock that, I don't know who can. Um, <laughs> got the buckle, man. That's legit. But uh, is, is ten sleep? Is that a reference to distance? Like back in the day, it was like yeah. it takes ten sleeps to get there, kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like uh, back in the native when the natives were there when they would travel from their where they would spend the winter time to where they would spend the summer it was like the halfway mark i got you so it was 10 10 sleeps and it's a you, nobody should ever go there it's a, ter <laughs> it's a terrible place yeah, good it, place for cows though. yeah it's per it's perfect like yeah. well, there's there's nobody there yeah, yeah it's pretty awesome nice. man well, thank you again for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, I hope you guys learned something. I know this is uh, excruciatingly important for both uh, the health and safety uh, of our society. So uh, support 
guys like JC, RC, sorry. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I sure did. It was eye-opening for me. And uh, until next time, this is Mike Drop. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.